0: beautiful people welcome to chronicles abroad it's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth so each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers creative wanderers and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes if you like
1: everybody what's going on this is Nubia and I'm Francis and we have another great episode today we have Antonio delk So straight out of high school Antonio went straight into the military he has been living an unhappy mundane lifestyle in the states so he decided to tap into his inner youth and venture out on a solo journey to travel the world and live his life on his terms
2: yeah thank you Antonio for being on the show oh, we're really excited to talk with you and tap into your journey.
3: Hey, thank you, Francis. Thank you, Nubia. Thank you for having me uh this evening.
1: So, Antonio, funny thing is we met abroad in Bali oh, as I'm sitting there at a beach bar and you walk up and you're like, hey, sis, what's up? And I just thought that was great. And ever since then, you know, it's almost actually a year to date when we met.
3: You know what? I think it was maybe a year ago today, and the name of the bar that we met at was actually Old Man's, and I remember it like yesterday. I hadn't seen another person of color in like maybe two or three days, and I saw you sitting there drinking. I just came up and gave you like the biggest hug ever. It was it was an amazing experience, and like you said, since then, we've just been keeping in contact, trying to link up with each other, but hey, I'm happy to actually have seen you in person. Now, to be able to have you on the podcast, well, me with you on the podcast, amazing experience. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I know, right? It's crazy how you cross paths throughout the world, you know what I'm saying, in your journeys. And the great thing about it is that we can call each other friends and wherever we are in the world is definitely a good pickup. It's like, hey, where you at? You know, so that's our testimony. But let's move on into your story. So straight out of high school, you went straight into the military. Can you give us a little bit about your military background and how you ventured off into this journey to travel solo?
3: I actually joined the military at the age of seven. I had my mother signed for me to go to the military. I did 10, almost 11 years in. I graduated sometime early June. I remember going to basic training for the Marine Corps July 3rd. I don't know why I went July 3rd, but I decided to go that day. My job in the Marine Corps was that of a radio operator. I've had uh, three deployments with them, actually, all to Iraq. You know, did that. And one thing a lot of people don't really know about me was that I was actually injured in Iraq. And while I was in the vehicle, my driver, which I have a tattoo on my arm, he was actually, uh, killed right in front of me. I actually, uh, witnessed that afterwards. You know, I got better. I actually broke my femur, so I had to relearn different things about life as far as learning how to run again, learning how to walk. That actually left me with permanent back damage, but if you see me and you see some of the shenanigans I do, you would never know. So I think it was maybe around 2006, 2007, I actually got out and went back to Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I was unable to find work at the time. I didn't have a college degree or didn't have anything. I was finding minimum wage jobs. I think like the best job I could find was maybe paying me like $12 an hour. I went back to living with my mother and I was just unhappy. So I did what I knew best. You know, I switched over. I went to the army, joined the army. Maybe, I don't even think I was in the army for maybe a year and a half. I was in some leadership school And they came to us one day and said, hey, you're deploying to Iraq for one year. I was like, man, I just left that place like two, two and a half years ago. They came in one day and said, hey, you're no longer going for a year. You're going for a year and a half now. So from the time that I was 17 until the time I was 27, I was always in the military. All the travel that I was always doing was always military related travel with very few uh trips of my own. I would go to Spain, to Ireland or wherever, but it was always with the military. And I actually felt as though that I missed a lot of my 20s. I would always see photos and hear stories of my friends having these wild parties in college. But I never really got to experience that While I was in the military, I faced some dark times. I've seen multiple deaths. I've seen the horrors that we battled in war that I never really tell people about. I've seen people commit suicide. I've seen fights and gun battles over in Iraq. And I think all of that right there more or less played a part into me traveling now because I think as a man, we don't really talk about a lot of these things because we don't want to be seen as, um, how do I say, like weak or in some communities, we don't want to seem like a punk. And In a certain piece of the military, which are more dominant, you're always told to suck things up, not to talk about it, which I think is a real issue that many veterans have. We don't go get necessarily checked for that, the mental health aspect. So that right there was the issue. And I left a lot of those emotional and mental issues backed up for, you know, six, seven, eight years. And I never really talked to anybody about that. So after the military, you know, I was always stressed and depressed and. I wasn't always sure why I was always sad being in certain communities in the United States is round upon to go get mental health treatment because it's like, Hey, you're a punk or, You know, nothing's wrong with you. I remember as a child, if you had something like ADHD or something, we always make jokes and saying no child has ADHD. They just need a belt. And I think I was one of those people that I was afraid to admit that I had a problem. One of the problems that the military did leave me with was the fact that I had severe insomnia. There was for years that I could not actually sleep. I was having to take medication every night just to make me sleep. Some of my friends thought it was the coolest thing because if they ever wanted to talk to me late at night, they knew they could call me at two o'clock in the morning and I would be awake. If they wanted to call me at seven o'clock in the morning, they knew I would be awake. But what they didn't see was I was actually trying to cry myself to sleep. I was sad each and every day. And even if you look at me now, or you could have saw me yesterday, it's some things that I'm sad about in life, but I just don't show it. People say, you should smile more. But for me, sometimes there was like so much hurt and pain that the military has actually left me with from not spending time with friends and family to not being able to foster good relationships with just seeing like the death of some of my friends or just on hand, I can account for at least six six or seven U.S. soldiers that I've seen actually killed in front of me and that's not even counting the dead bodies or the body parts that we've had to go pick up, of which I've still, I'm working on it now, but I still have not received I think all the counseling that I should necessarily undergo. Yeah, I did the military for those 10, almost 11 years. Afterwards, I got medically separated because there became a point in my life in which I said I can be gung ho, but do I want to risk foster having a messed up back for the rest of my life or, you know, not being able to walk or whatever my medical situations would have been at the time? that continue to serve my country or when I reach the ages of 50, 60, 70, my body is no longer good for myself. So at the age of 27, almost 28, I made the decision and I asked them to go ahead and medically separate myself from the uh, military and afterwards, I finished my college degrees, worked in corporate America, worked for the government. And, you know, now you see me now just traveling the world.
2: Well, first off, I want to say uh thank you for your service. Definitely want to highlight that and really appreciate you sharing uh, that information with us. I know that I can't say, you know, I know, but I definitely understand how hard that might have been. So this is Important because we get a lot of people who are very nervous about traveling abroad, specifically if they have mental health stuff. I've talked openly about my own depression and anxiety. How did you get the courage, I'd say, to travel solo? Because a lot of people just even without having trauma are nervous traveling solo. But even having all of that in place, how are you able to just make that leap and be able to travel solo? Anything that could help anybody else who's out there listening?
3: Honestly, Francis, I I really don't know. It's one of those things that if I would have kept asking my friends to go places, me living in North Carolina at the moment, I probably would have only went to uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Miami, Florida, or Las Vegas, Nevada, because that's all my friends were used to and the occasional Jamaica. But with the growing influence of Instagram and Facebook, I wanted to see these beautiful beaches and I've heard stories of other people sitting on beaches and magically their ailments just went away. And I'm not really sure if it went away or it was just masked with fun and more excitement that was really going on in the moment. Because if you've been following me, you know that I do some pretty awesome stuff. I have as much fun as I can. And I realized that when you're having so much fun and you're living in a moment that you don't have time to think about some of the negative situations that are taking place when you have an adventure or when you have constantly an influx of new people always surrounding you with hugs, smiles, uh, welcoming you into their homes. I don't have the time to reflect on what went bad five or 10 years ago. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling anyone to use travel to cover up any type of ailments. Because yes, there are some days in which I travel solo, especially when I was in Myanmar or Cambodia, or even coming here to Thailand, when after you get done being around five or six people for a couple of days, and then you have to board that flight by yourself, you feel that sense of loneliness again. So for me, it was just getting out there, living. I had to realize that back in 9 May, 2003, when I got injured, that I was spared my life. I hear stories now with some of my friends having cancer, having brain tumors and stuff, and they're always saying, get out there and live your life because you never know when you're going to be in a bad car accident. You never know when you're going to have this. So for me, I always look to see if I were to be in a bad car accident today or tomorrow, did the life that I have already lived, would I be proud about it? Or am I waiting for someone else to give me permission? I think that was one of the main reasons and one of the main things I look that when it was time for me to leave the military, leave the corporate world, as, as well as the government sector. I think everybody should take at least a year or six months or however much time you can afford to take off and rediscover who you are, laugh, wake up when you want to, and just pretty much have fun. But yeah, that's the reason why I decided to travel.
0: You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, resources and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone.
1: Well, I can say traveling there are some traveling woes and a lot of times we don't talk about some of of those things like one thing you mentioned is the loneliness. Um, when you're on that flight by yourself or even when you're looking at that bomb ass sunset or that beautiful, you know, mountain range and you're just like, Wow, it would be nice to share this with someone But at the end of the day, I do believe in those moments you are at your happiest self. And anybody who has looked at your social media will see that you're living a, a wonderful life one of the things you did uh, in New Zealand you jumped off of, how how many stories was that it was like a bungee jump or something what made you do that and how did you feel at that moment when you were jumping off of that bridge or that rock wherever you were <laughs>
3: So, Nubia, what you're talking about right there in New Zealand, I was actually in Queenstown, New Zealand. That was the Nevis bungee, and it was either 134 or 143 meter bungee jump. Now, what people didn't see was that was actually my third time jumping that day. I never really told anybody that. but. The- first time I went, I was so nervous because the the chair was actually like shaking when you had to get in there and they had to strap up your feet. And the scariest part about it was when you actually had to walk to the plank. And once I jumped and I jumped off, I realized I had an adrenaline rush and there was nothing to be afraid of. I was actually afraid that like the, the bungee was going to break. The bungee was going to bring me back up and wrap around my my neck and kill me or strangle me. But after I jumped the first time and I saw that there was no fear and I saw that I was just living life. uh, life, And I also saw that the price went down after you jumped the first time. After you jumped the first time, the price goes to $70. So it actually encouraged me. I was like, hey, man, let's do this again. But what everybody witnessed on my Instagram and my Facebook was actually the video from my third jump. That's the one when I just went ahead and dove straight in. But it was magical. It was exhilarating. And I tell everybody to do it. And actually, and I know you didn't ask this piece of advice, but after that right there, I actually went skydiving uh, maybe two days afterwards. And me sitting in the door um, right before I went skydiving, it actually made it more easier. Most people, when they go skydiving for the first time, they're afraid to look down. But after I had bungee, it made me feel as though I could do any and everything. It gave me a different type of encouragement. So after I bungee, you know like the world was mine i was talking to people like oh man let's go jump off of this let's go do this right here it just felt it felt so good because i now knew that i could do anything that i put my mind to
1: i can dig it but don't start jumping off of everything now <laughs> i can totally uh relate to the skydiving as i've done it myself when you're literally sitting on the edge and you're thinking in your head why am i doing this and before they can even count to 3 you're already out the door you're just like this is Awesome. Just to, I know it's very exhilarating. To me, I don't know about the bungee jump so much because I always get that fear that the straps, you know, pull your ankles and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what, I I don't know what drives us with fear, why we believe so much that something looks or feels a certain way, even if we've never done it before. So I totally do recommend people jump out of stuff. (laughs) Because it is an exhilarating feeling. It's something that you can never feel unless you do it, unless you try. Yeah, that's
2: awesome. I can't believe you did it three times though. Wow.
3: <laughs> yeah, three times. It costs a lot of money too.
2: You know, what I love about your story, Antonio, is one thing that it reminds me of the whole, you know, when Will Smith jumped out of the, jumped out of the airplane and he skydived. I think, When we do what we fear the most, everything else doesn't seem so scary. And that's exactly what you're doing. Like you did what seems to be the scariest thing ever for a lot of people. And now as you step forward and move forward into your life, making these decisions, doing these things, it's just I don't want to say it's a cakewalk, but it really doesn't feel like anything is holding you back. And I think when you eliminate a lot of those fears, it makes you able to step into your passion and really understand who you are as a person.
3: Yes, that's correct.
2: Do you feel like your quality of life has improved
1: through your travels?
3: I'm not really sure what you mean by quality of life because quality of life has actually went down because, well, no, it's improved. It's improved mentally because when I was in the United States, the last time I was home, I counted and I counted over 80 shirts in my closet. I think right now I'm living out of a backpack and I can probably count 10 Mm -hmm. shirts that are in my backpack at the moment. I've learned that I don't really need as much quality of life as in food. I'm eating more healthy right now. And my skin is glowing. I'm just having like so much fun in life. But the thing that most people don't realize when you're traveling like this is that you do miss friends and family. Thanksgiving was, you know, I miss that. I wish I could have been home with my mother. I really don't have any excuse on why I didn't go home, except for the plane ticket would have cost a lot of money. But quality of life is good. I'm finding out more about myself. I'm putting myself in different types of situations. When you are constantly around people to help you navigate some of these things, uh, you always have someone to rely on. When you're solo traveling and you arrive to a country and you don't understand all the visa laws or you have to pay a fine, you learn different types of things. And because I'm traveling, Traveling solo and I don't have anyone with me, I realize really who I am because in the U.S., I could think I was an extrovert. But now with me traveling, I truly now know that I'm an introvert. And many people don't know that I can sit and stay by myself for hours. And sometimes I actually have to force myself to get out and communicate with others.
1: Well, to me, that sounds like your quality of life is improved. I mean, if you felt like you were living a mundane lifestyle in the States and you were, you know, I guess going through the depression and the PTSD, it sounds like your quality of life has improved with your travels because you are learning more about yourself. The self-discovery, you find happiness in the things that you choose to do. Back home, a lot of black males are dying, right? Just How do you feel you are perceived as a black man in these homogenous countries when you travel? Do you feel safe?
3: Actually, if we're going to talk about racism while traveling, I've had some racial encounters with some people. Australia, I, I really, I heard it was it can be kind of racist, but I didn't experience anything. In New Zealand, since I was on the South Island, I will actually have to admit that I went three weeks without seeing another person of color. And when I saw one, I was so happy. There was many times that I would walk into a bed and breakfast or a hostel there, or even a hotel or a guest house, and people would just stare at me. And they were um like Kiwis, which is what you call a person from New Zealand. And they knew what I was, and they knew I I was American, but they were giving me this look like, "Man, we haven't seen one of you in so long." And you know, I just thought it was funny. Like they never, they never came and spoke to me. But I remember this one particular time. There was about eight Caucasian gentlemen who just stared at me the whole time I was there. And then they left and I came back downstairs and I actually found out they had cooked me breakfast. And I thought that was like the weirdest thing in the world. But then once I moved to Indonesia, there was a Caucasian guy from Australia. He actually had said to me and three other Indonesian guys, and there was a white guy from uh, New Zealand there, and he had asked me, he said, hey, why are you sitting here with these black people? And I was like, wow, that's, like, like, that's crazy. You know, no one had stuck up for me. And I was more or less surprised that the Caucasian from New Zealand didn't say anything but for me i'm not going to say it was normal or i was infuriated i was more or less frustrated by the indonesian guys because they were a lighter brown and complex than me and they probably have never heard anybody make a negative comment towards them um, while traveling. But currently I'm here in Thailand and, you know, I've never experienced any of that um, in China. I had people take my photos and stuff. It gets annoying uh, sometimes, but sometimes you have to take it as a uh, educational thing to really understand that they don't really get to see people of color always traveling. I was in Myanmar and some of them had literally never seen one in person. I actually posted on Facebook and uh, Instagram that when these monks came up to me and they saw me, they couldn't speak my language. I couldn't speak their language. And I wanted to take a a photo with the monk so bad. And they just made eye contact with me. I made eye contact with them. And we had this mutual understanding that, hey. This photo is about to go down. So it was a great thing. But honestly, sometimes when I'm out meeting people, I do have this downside that I can't just approach anyone because I do know in some countries they don't like darker skinned people. Also here in Thailand, you know, they bleach their skin here because they don't like the darker skinned people. When I go places, I worry about how is the color of my skin going to be perceived here? Just how you said uh, yesterday in India uh Some of the darker-skinned Indians were actually looking at you. So that is something that I take into consideration when I go to some of these places. Honestly, I've been shown a lot of love here. Everywhere I go, you know, I get those few apples that, you know, may or say a few bad things. Uh, I think I was in Cambodia. I got cursed out by somebody, and the first thing they brought up was they said, oh, you black man, like you dirty black man. And not and to sound bad or anything. But the person was like trying to curse me out. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, "Yeah, I make more money than you do. You're going to say something about me because of the color of my skin, knowing that you couldn't even afford to come to my country if you wanted to. But I knew that was a negative comment. So I just kept it to myself instead of being petty.
2: Yeah, I think often a lot of it just comes from lack of exposure, lack of experience, lack of education, and the limited exposure that they get is from the Western area. Whereas in the States... I mean, it's like, you you know better, because they see us all the time, yet we're still being discriminated against and having all these racial acts happening against uh, people of color. So I feel like in the West... There should be a level of responsibility, uh, whereas for me, traveling abroad, being a person of color, you know, I just take it more of an educational standpoint for the most part. You know, I've never had any negative comments said to me. But, however, it has been a lot of the curiosity and the curiousness of my skin color, my hair, all that good stuff. So I take it all with a grain of salt and I just, you know, approach it very positively, just like you said.
3: And let me um add something real quick. Actually, I was in Bali and I was greeted by A lot of South Africans that saw me, the white ones. And when they saw me, they were like, man, I'm so happy to see you because they said in my country, I'm so used to seeing blacks. When they travel, it's hard for them to see blacks, you know, when they go to like the New Zealand or. You know a fiji and stuff like that except for them seeing the local pigeons who are more or less darker skin color but it was them saying that little comment to me that let me know that like not everybody in the world is we don't like blacks we don't like whites we don't like mexicans or haitians or whatever you want to classify yourself as but yeah i just tell everybody get out here you're gonna have some good experiences with some bad experiences And honestly, if I were to post more photos on my social media, you would actually notice that I tend to actually meet more Africans traveling than African Americans or Americans in general, followed by Europeans. Most of the people that I meet at these hostels, the guest homes, they're Caucasian in color because they're just traveling more and they're more visible in some of these locations. Now with me saying that don't misconstrue it as me saying that African Americans aren't traveling. Yes, we are, but we just aren't out in the, the numbers as other races are, as in the Caucasians, the Chinese and the pimpers. Point a specific region in the world, the Europeans. But that's also due to the Americans not having as many days off as the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, also, it's the truth. Americans don't travel as much as Chinese and Europeans. They travel all over the world, and majority of times they've been traveling the world since they were very young. But even with that said, do you have a rhyme or reason to your travels? You're off the beaten path. Not many people are going to Myanmar <laughs> on vacation. Not many. Many people are taking pictures with koalas and in New Zealand, jumping off of mountains and stuff like. So how do you choose your destination?
3: How do I choose my destinations? Technically, I'm frugal. So I'm always trying to look for cheaper countries. I'm not one that necessarily really cares about how many passport stamps that I have. I look to see, can I have some quality in my trips? How long can I stay there? Because I think that when you stay a place for three or four days, you get to see things. But you don't get to really know the culture and you don't really get to know the people. I think the reason why I chose Myanmar was because it's pretty much like a brand new country. They've only had tourism there for maybe like 10 or 15 years. And there's actually like a genocide going on in the north with the Muslims. But that's like a different conversation. But it's a it's a new country. They don't have any Western influence. And how I picked there, I was like, hey, $50 visa process. And I hadn't really met too many people that's been there. Except for when you come to Southeast Asia. I would talk to people about Thailand and Vietnam and the US and they knew where it was. I would say Myanmar, or Burma, and they would look at me and say, I don't know where that is. So that was one of my things that I looked it up and they said, Hey, it's an ultra safe country. We don't have a lot of information on it, but this is what people, you know, usually do when they get there. I just decide to go. And a lot of times when I'm staying in these hostels, you meet so many people each and every day and you say, Hey, where are you going next? Because when you meet people for two and three days and they have you have a great rapport with them, you actually want to travel a little bit more. So as long as the country is like a neighboring country and you can actually uh, financially get there, then I don't mind going there.
1: I don't know how you talking about frugal, because there ain't nothing frugal about New Zealand. A, nothing frugal about Fiji. B, you scuba diving at the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Australia definitely isn't frugal. Um, in <laughs> some amazing places that a lot of people dream to go and dream to do, and I think that's amazing. And one thing that I do enjoy, um, and I thank you for mentioning, is hostels. A lot of people have. I would say negative connotations about hostels and it doesn't have to be like that. I know you and I stayed um in a hostel together in Indonesia and it was like family literally you know what I mean and it was cool and if I'm not mistaken I think it was like what $3.50 a night or like $5 yeah. a night. It was hella yeah. inexpensive but it was so cool to be able to make friends with people who would just like you just wanting to enjoy themselves. I mean you've been to Peru to Machu Picchu you've been a lot of places. How many countries have you been thus far in the last few years that you've been traveling?
3: In the past year, I can honestly tell you that I have been to 10. But let me rewind real quick. And I know you didn't ask for this. Let's talk about financing for some of these trips real quick. You said that I've been to New Zealand and Australia and stuff, which seems expensive, but I also offset the costs. Now, you see most people, they go to these resorts in Jamaica or they stay at the resorts. When I do a high price country, you know, I may run up a large bill for that month, but I actually equal it out the next country that I go to that has a lower cost. And that's what people don't see. They see me traveling to uh, New Zealand for five weeks, but what they don't see is I spent the next month and a half in the Thailand and Myanmar and the Cambodia. So if I spent, you know, let's say I spent $6,000 in uh, New Zealand, the following month, I only spent $1,000. And, you know, the Thailand, the Vietnam or the Cambodia. And that's what people really don't see is that I actually level the stuff off and outside of the United States, the rest of the world is actually pretty, it's affordable as we talked about last night when you take advantage of US dollar.
2: And we agree with that because obviously there are ways in which that you can make everything work from like workaways to woofing. I mean, there's so many options that you can offset costs. So do you see yourself doing this slow travel for a while? Or do you see yourself finding a country where you're going to settle in for a little bit and having a home base?
3: So currently, as of right now, I, I plan on finishing my travels in February. Then I will sit in the U.S. for maybe like three or four months. Come next June 2019, I plan on either moving to Thailand or Colombia. As of right now, Colombia is more of an elite just because I want to practice and get better at my Spanish. But Thailand has something about my heart just because Bangkok is a big hub, and flying around is like no big deal here. For a hundred U.S. dollars, uh, I can get a round trip to a neighboring country or I can just take a bus for maybe 30 U.S. dollars. But as of right now, Medellin, Colombia will probably be my next move, uh, June 2019. I'm going to Trinidad Carnival, probably going to wine on somebody's daughter for about a good eight days. Afterwards, I'll be in the U.S. for three, four months, Colombia for a year and about maybe every month and a half. I will actually go travel to another country. After that year, it bring me to 2020. I'm not really sure. I'll see how I feel at that moment. One thing many people don't realize is that traveling like this, you do experience a certain type of burnout. And I think right now I am actually burnt out from moving hostels and being on trains and planes every two or three days. So as of right now, I can only predict a year in Colombia And from there, I will have to see how everything is going, you know, health wise, uh, how things are going with my mom and monetary wise to see if I'm still earning the same amount of income as I was before.
2: And that's a real thing, the whole traveling burnout, because sometimes you just don't want to go anywhere, even like even being in Thailand. Sometimes I'm like, ah, yeah, I could see all of Thailand, but sometimes you just just want to sit your butt somewhere. So Antonio Tell us, I mean, if you could give some advice to some veterans out there who may not be aware of some of the services that are out there for them, you know, want to do kind of the same thing that you're doing, what would you tell them?
0: You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, resources and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone.
3: Well, I think there's, um, from what I understand you're saying, as far as like the disability or the retirement thing, I've seen many people, they, especially if you're, I think I want to gear this more towards like the single veterans who don't have like any children or anything. You gave, you know, 20 years of your life to the military. You now have to learn how to get your life back. I've meet many, you know, sergeant majors who did twenty years, their adult kids are grown up, they're divorced. What they don't realize is that they're getting a retirement check and they're making three, four, or five thousand dollars a month. And then on top of that, some of them are even a hundred percent disabled and they're making an additional three or four thousand dollars on top of that. And they're still struggling. Either they're struggling or They have this mindset is, oh, I just got done doing 20 years in the military. Let me go out here and do another 20 in the federal government and get a double retirement. Why? Why work? Dude, you're making six thousand dollars a month. Why not take that to a Costa Rica, Indonesia, Philippines, Colombia or some other country and just relax? You know, you don't have to make eighty thousand dollars a year just to be happy. Because what you're doing is by the time you reach the age of 55 and 65, you're going to be too tired to hop on a plane for 16 hours. So luckily for me, if I would have done uh, 20 years, I would have got out at the age of 37. Right now, I'm 34. So I would have still been young enough to actually get out and travel. But I tell everybody that the military got something from from you, that while you're in the military, make sure that if you have a headache, go to medical for it. If you have a backache, go to medical. Um, if anything happens, yes, they're going to call you a female dog. They're going to call you a pump. They're going to call you weak or whatever. The thing I had to realize was that as soon as I got my release papers from the military, that I would never hear from over half of those people again. And honestly, the only reason why I have contact with some of them right now is just through Facebook. But they're not calling me every day to say, Hey, how are you doing? How is your family doing? All it is is a a like or a heart or a haha emoji on Facebook. So get out there, go to medical, do what you have to do. Because when you get out, you can go to the VA and you can ask for compensation. If you could make a good, I say maybe 70 or 80%, that right there will yield you maybe fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. I spoke with a woman here in Bangkok and she said, hey, my rent is 200 a month. If you're making $1,700 a month and you bring that to a Thailand, you're making more than the average. Come here, live. And then if you want to play the game a little bit more, you go to school. The military will pay for you to go to school. Go to school online or either go to school here in Bangkok and they'll pay you additional money on top of your V.A. Now, for me, yes, I do receive V.A. money. It's not a lot, but I'm no longer receiving money from the school because I'm not in school right now. I have other ways of generating income. But as veterans, you don't have to sit up here and worry about if you have a source of income coming in, learn how to use that. Do not sit in the United States and struggle. Learn how to move around and get the best of it. If you need medical care, if you need dental care, I believe that Thailand actually does something when they give you like a complete medical exam that's actually better. I know veterans and regular people who actually travel to legit, legitimate doctors in other countries and get certain ailments fixed that aren't fixed in the United States. I have a friend who was going through depression and going through everything in the United States, a woman veteran, and she lives in Playa del Carmen, Mexico now. And she says, yeah, my back doesn't hurt anymore. This doesn't hurt. Because I'm living on the beach every day, I eat fresh food. Uh, she's receiving a large amount from the VA as well as her retirement. And she has um, an Airbnb property and some other rental properties. And she said, what's the purpose of her going back to the United States when she knows that because of the service that she gave to the U.S., that they're going to continue to pay her for the rest of her life? And also, I told my friend, he's at 100 percent disability from the uh, VA. And I told him, I said, well, why don't you just move outside the country instead of living in Texas or New York struggling every month? When if you're going to get paid $4,000 every month, live in a cheaper country, have fun. You get $4,000 on the first of every month. Go out there, splurge, have fun. Don't live in a U.S. city that at the end of every month, all 4000 of your dollars is going to be spent up. And you're not able to go scuba diving and cost of a plane ticket is three or four hundred dollars versus the cost of a plane ticket here in Thailand that can run you 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars to another country.
2: No, I love that advice because we do hold a lot of stress in our bodies and being um, a military veteran, that's even maximized even more. And a lot of us don't take the time out to really just sit back and just stop moving. And especially if you've had such a tumulus few years, decades, you deserve the opportunity to just be and reflect and do the things that make you feel good uh, or, you know, that bring joy to your life. So thank you so much for that wonderful, well thought out advice. Antonio, we really enjoyed talking to you. Where can people find you and see where, wherever else that you're jumping off, of, <laughs> whatever other building that you're jumping off of or helicopters or wherever else? How can people uh, keep track of some of your adventures?
3: So if they actually want to keep track of my adventures, they can actually find me on Instagram and Facebook by my name, Antonio Delk. Uh, my last name is D E L K. And I will actually work on posting more frequently and more often because, uh, I've heard I have some awesome photos and experiences, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I guess you could send am a Facebook lurker or Instagram lurker. I don't post. But I'm, I'm I'm gonna get better at it. I'm posting at least once a week.
1: Don't let me get a hold of that phone because I'll be <laughs> posting all over <laughs> your social media. And you know I'm hating that you got my phone, man. I love them Samsung phones. But Antonio, thank you again. I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and our audience. And I'm sure that there are going to be many people that can resonate with your story. Thank you for sharing that information for anyone that's in the military that is injured um, or is looking for retirement and everything else it's the truth you know my dad is and well he's a vet and um it's hard it's hard coming out of the military and finding gainful employment and if you have a check coming in or any kind of benefits it's so much easier to live abroad on a salary of a thousand to two thousand dollars a month than it is to even be in a state you cannot You can't live in the States with, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. They would keep anyone down. So definitely thank you for that advice. And I look forward to seeing more of your ventures. Best of luck with everything.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Francis. And thank you, Nubia, for having me today.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore Abroad. Find us online at our website, ChroniclesAbroad.com for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.